Ecclesiastes 11, 1 through 6. It's in your bulletin under the God Speaks heading. Ecclesiastes 11, starting at verse 1. So it's a bit confusing, so pay attention. Cast your bread upon the waters, for after many days you will find it again. Give portions to seven, yes to eight, for you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain upon the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant, whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let not your hands be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will, equally, will do equally well. This is the word of the Lord. Rats, I'm out of light, and I need light, because as Matt said, this is a bit confusing. Um, he's right, this passage is a bit confusing. In fact, actually, as he, re- as he read it, and I listened to it, because all week long I've been you know, reading it and thinking about it, but then I, I hear someone else read it, and then I think, wow, yeah, it is confusing, eh? What's that, What's that about? Well, we're going to try to figure it out together uh, this morning, friends. We have, been, uh, we have been looking at the book of Ecclesiastes uh, and trying to understand life. Life. Life is awfully mysterious, isn't it? And it's good for us to uh, spend some time thinking about the meaning of life, the purpose of life, how to live life, all these kinds of questions that the teacher has been asking over the last number of weeks. Um, just to remind you, there is an outline uh, in your bulletin that you can follow along, and we do try to take questions if there's time at the end of a message uh, in order to clarify things. So if you're coming up with questions as we go along, write them down, and and maybe you'll get a chance to ask them at the end. Uh, And I wouldn't be surprised if you do this time, because as this passage was read and as Matt said, uh, it is kind of confusing and kind of difficult. And let me try to help understand what's going on here. Last time we saw how the teacher said, look, there's a lot of injustice in the world. There's a lot of stuff that does not make sense. Life does not seem very fair. Life seems incredibly unpredictable. And we, we wrestled with that, right? Like one minute, you feel like you're on top and everything is just going along tickety-boo and then boom, something hits, tragedy strikes and you find yourself in despair. And it can happen oh so fast. You know, I was talking to Mike uh, just the... just just the, the other day, and he was saying that's exactly what happened to them. Life is moving along, tickety-boo, everything's going fine, and then boom, his father-in-law is diagnosed with a terrible illness, and you just are dropped like a sack of potatoes, like just like that. And so the question becomes then, oh, by the way, and this happens to everyone. This happens to all people. It happens to all kinds of people. I want to emphasize that for a minute because... 
sometimes people get the sense that if they get religion, like if they get God, if they get Jesus, if they start going to church and start praying, reading the Bible, stuff like that, religions. They're thinking about those set of religions that say, basically, if you live a good life and if you do the right things, then God kind of owes you a certain kind of outcome. Maybe you've got to struggle a little bit in this world, but you'll at least get the reward at the end of this world when you go into the next world. And so they, they kind of want to apply that, that, that to Christianity as well, but that is not the case with Christianity. Christianity doesn't work that way because because Christianity is a religion of what's called grace. It's a religion of undeserved favor. The relationship that a Christian has with God is one completely and entirely based upon God in some mysterious, for mysterious, amazing reasons that you cannot comprehend yourself. He has decided to set his favor upon you and love you and cherish you and even put his own son on a cross to die in your place for you so that he can know you as his child and you can rack your brain about all the things you must have done for him to love you in that way and you will never, ever, ever, ever come up with a sufficient reason for it. That's how Christianity works. It's not like anything else you're going to find in the world. I promise you. I've looked, and I'm young-ish, and i got more looking to do, but I'm pretty sure I'm not going to find it anywhere else. So, the question is, how do you live? If, if life is unpredictable, if we all face uncertainty, how should you live? How do you, how do you live in a world like that? And that's what we're going to try to tackle this morning as the teacher teaches us. And he's going to be extremely practical and he's going to give practical general principles. He's not going to answer every question or objection that pops up in your mind. We couldn't get through that in the morning. So remember that as we go along. He's going to talk to us about how to live risky in an unpredictable world. So, we're called to risk, we're called to generosity, we resist the call, but we can be free to respond. That's the logical flow of this morning's message. Let's have a look. First of all, how do you live in an unpredictable world? He says, the way to live in an unpredictable world is to take risk. We are called to take not stupid risks, wise risks, but risks nonetheless. Now think about this. If life is so unpredictable and you never know what's going to happen and tragedy could strike at the, min- at the drop of a hat, what is the wise strategy for life? What's the smart way to take life on? Wouldn't you think that it would be to kind of hunker down, right? Play it safe, be careful, protect yourself, you know, try to hedge your bets, in order to make sure that your life remains as predictable as possible given the uncertainty that may be existing all around you. Doesn't that make sense? And doesn't that kind of fit our nature? I mean, uh, human beings, it's, it's remarkable how, how much creatures of habit human beings are. Uh, most of us probably have a bedtime that we generally stick to, and by the way, those of you that don't probably don't sleep well, just want you to know that it's a very important part of a good sleep cycle, going to bed at the same time. Um, we're, we, we like to eat kind of the same foods, generally speaking. We're not super duper adventurous uh, about foods, generally. 
Um, you know, this church has existed for a little over a year. Those of you who have been around for more than three weeks, I pretty much know where the general area where you sit already because you kind of sit in the same places week in and week out because that's the way human beings are. We don't really like change. And what's fascinating is, is you'd think that it's actually young people who are more capable of change and more interested in change than older people. But I've discovered actually kids of all people who hate change the most, it's kids. We don't like change. We don't like things to be unpredictable. And we don't like really to take risks. And yet, here's the teacher, and he says, because the future is hidden, and because it is so unpredictable, you should work boldly and wisely taking risks. Look at verse 1. He says this strange thing. He says, cast your bread upon the waters, for after many days you will find it again. Now, this, this is a tough verse to interpret, understandably. Um, it's it's kind of hard to figure out. But basically, here's the picture that the teacher's painting. He says, look, you've got bread. We all need bread, right? We all need bread. You need it to feed your family. You need it to survive, etc." And, and he says, what you should do is you should throw it out on the water. And initially, you say to yourself, well, that sounds stupid. Why would you throw it out on the water? You can almost picture, you know, a family with a loaf of bread, and they're really, really hungry, and they're sitting on a parched bench, and then all of a sudden, they take it out, and they start chucking it onto, into the pond, you know, and the ducks start coming, and they're going to feed the ducks. And, and if the ducks don't get to it, what happens to it? It just sort of quickly disintegrates and sli- slips away and disappears. Why on, wor- on earth would you do that? Isn't a bird in the hand better than two in the bush? Not necessarily. The teacher says, because if you do that, after many days, you will find it again. Hmm. That's a very unlikely thing, isn't it? And that's exactly why the teacher uses this powerful image. It's because it's so unlikely. What he's trying to press us to understand is, is he is reminding us of of the remarkable things that God is able to accomplish. He's saying this, you take what God has given you, you take the resources God has given you, you take your talents, you take your abilities, you take your finances, you take all of that, everything that God has given you, and he says, you cast them out on the water of life, you just, you sort of invest them into the the life that you are seeking to live, even though it's unknown and unpredictable, and he says that investment will come back to you. It might take a long time. It might take a very long time, but it will come back to you. In other words, since life is risky, it's better actually to launch out into life than it is to hunker down and sit back and play it safe. It's very counterintuitive, don't you think? Don't hoard your resources. Don't hold them close to you. Make a go of it, he says, and see what comes of it. Essentially, this is a call to what you could call Christian resourcefulness, all right? Some of you who are familiar with the New Testament will know this story of the talents. You know, there's this king, he's got these servants, he gives five, think of five, you know, bags of money to one servant, he gives three bags of money to another servant, he gives one bag of money to the last servant, and then he goes off for a year, and he says, invest it, and he comes back. And the guy who had five now has ten. The guy who had three now has six. And the guy who has one now has one. And the king asks the guy, what, 
what, what's up with that? How come you only have one? And the guy says, well, I know you're a tough guy, you're very hard, and, and uh, you gave me this, uh, this money to invest, and I didn't know, you know, I wasn't sure what to do with it, and I didn't want to get in trouble, and so I went out and I buried it under, a, under the house, and then when you came back, I just brought it back to you. Here it is, safe and sound. I didn't screw it up. And the king says, what, you goof? Actually, he says something harsher than that, I think. But anyhow, you could have at least given it to the bankers to invest, and I could have got interest from it. You have com- completely squandered what I have given you because you weren't willing to risk it, to invest it. Now, you've got to understand, this is, he's calling for a wise investment. He's not calling for foolish investment, and he's calling for investment based upon your prior knowledge that there is a God in charge of the universe in which you are living. And so, even though it looks completely and utterly unpredictable from your perspective, that's not entirely how it is. You've got to put a pin in that, and I'll explain a little more in a few minutes. But generally speaking, he's calling you, he's calling us, he's telling us to take the resources that he has given to us and invest them. That's point number one. In a life that's unpredictable, we are called to take some risk. But the second thing is, well, oh wait, am I that far yet or no? Hold on. Oh, yeah, okay. More specifically, it's not just a call to risk, it's actually a call to generosity. And this has to do with the the second way you can interpret this verse. Scholars have pointed out that obviously this bread that's being described here is a staple. Bread in those cultures was a staple, just like it is basically in our culture. And this call to cast it on the water, scholar says, is actually a call to be very generous. Yes, we're supposed to be risky with our resources, but how specifically is the teacher calling us to be risky with our resources? And the answer is, he's calling us to be risky with our resources for the sake of the poor, for the sake of gospel ministry, for the sake of investing in others. Think about this. When you help someone who doesn't have as much resources as you. When you take the time to invest in them, either your time by building a relationship with them or your money by simply sharing your wealth with them in some way or whatever, you don't know how it's going to turn out. You don't know if things are going to go south or if things are going to go, I guess, north. If things are going to get worse or if things are going to get better, you don't know how it's going to be used. If you give money to a charity, let's say, or you give money to a, 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 a ministry of some sort, and, and you invest in that, you don't know necessarily the kind of impact it's going to have. But, but look at what he says in verse 2. He says, give portions to seven, yes, to eight, for you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. Seven is this number of completeness in the Bible, okay? And he says, notice that you don't know when disaster will strike, when disaster will come upon the land. Now, follow me here, okay? He says, be generous with your money. Give your money away. Give your resources away. Give your time away. Invest in people and invest in the gospel. You don't know if it's going to come back, but it will come back to you at some point. Do that because, what does he say? You don't know what disaster may come upon the land. In other words, he says, trouble's coming. Trouble's coming. Therefore, be generous. Now, that is the key, complete opposite of our inclination. 
Do you say to yourself, hmm, I don't know what the future is holding. I don't know what, what's going to happen to me or my family or the world. Therefore, what I should do is, is I should start being generous with my stuff. No, right? That's not what you do. You say, whoa, man, I got I to gotta be responsible with it. I got I to gotta hold on to it. You know, my time, do I, can I afford to give that much time? Can I afford to give that much money? We become essentially kind of miserly when we think about an unpredictable, unknown future, and we do it under the guise of saying, well, we're trying to be responsible because we don't know what's going to happen. And yet all across Scripture, the call is to do the very opposite. I'm not going to rattle off passage after passage after passage. I'll just hit you with one from uh, the book of Proverbs, also by Solomon. He says in Proverbs 22, verse 9, A generous person will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. And that's just one example. When we entrust ourselves to God... We will take risks with our resources and be generous with those resources because, because, one, he tells us to, and if God says do something, you should do it. But second of all, he promises that that's actually an investment that pays off in the end. Go back to last week. Remember I tried to, was it last week? I don't know. Two weeks ago? I talk a lot, right? So I don't know when I say everything, but... I tried to paint that picture of you walking down the streets of Dundas one day and you invested in something and you meet some guy, this is a billion years from now, in the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth, you meet some guy or some gal and they say, I want to thank you and you say, for what? And they say, here I am in heaven experiencing eternal bliss and eternal glory in part because you took the time to help me with my taxes during that, that Canada Tax Revenue tax clinic that your church did a billion years ago in Dundas and I walked in there and I didn't have two pennies to, 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 to rub together and you sat down and you treated me with dignity and you showed me kindness and, and you, you uh, honored the image of God in me and then you took an interest in me and then you asked me if you, I would be interested in, in hearing the gospel or coming to your church and that's how I was introduced to Jesus and you just thought it was nothing and you have no idea the ripple effect that you had. It's, a, it's an amazing thing to think that someday you may be walking down the streets of Dundas in the new Jerusalem or the new heavens and the new earth or maybe you move to Jerusalem because you're like, oh, now I can because we can all afford the airfare and stuff when, when we're in heaven, right? And you meet somebody and they, they say, you helped me end up here. You know, there's this place where Jesus says something quite shockingly unbelievable, if you think about it. He says that heaven erupts in a party of incomparable proportions every time a sinner repents. The soul of another human being is so unbelievably invaluable that its rescue from condemnation that it's being plucked from hell and brought into the, the, the wonderful glory of the kingdom of God is deserving of the greatest bash that the universe could ever experience. 
And when we get that call from Compassion Canada or we get that appeal for this Christian ministry, we roll our eyes and we go, oh man, everybody always wants so much from me. Why? So that you can go to Buffalo Wild Wings one more time? Like, look, I'm preaching to myself here, okay? Like if I'm hitting you and you're like, hey, I've been, I gotta hear this, okay? I really love Buffalo Wild Wings. Huh, I don't even know where I am in my sermon anymore. Um, look, in life we are often so paralyzed, eh? We're paralyzed to take these risks. Um, not all in the same places. It's interesting. Here's, here's one person, and she, she takes a risk, and she starts a new business. And you think, wow, like, that's amazing. She is going to go out there and build a business and take all this financial risk to make something happen. And you think, that's an amazing risk-taking. But that person, that, that, that woman, at the same time, she will not take a risk in her relationships. She'll never confront someone who needs to be confronted about the way they're behaving. Or, or maybe there's someone who, who, who is, is very willing to risk, uh, to risk uh, 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 their, their, their kind of their comfort level or something and really get out of their comfort level and try new things or, and, and, and yet they're terrified to talk openly with their kids about their faith. So we... We, we are willing to take risks in some places at times, but not other places. Maybe you're here and God is pushing you to do something and you can feel it. He wants you to step out and take action in some way and you can feel it. You can feel the pressure. It's weighing down on you and you are just terrified to actually follow that call to take that risk. That happened to me for a very long time. For years, I felt this, this kind of push in a certain direction and I resisted it for a long time. And I tell you, after a while, it gets it gets exhausting to live that way. Why do we do that? Why do we resist? Why do we resist the call? And the teacher, he actually helps us with that. And he, he shows us how we resist the call in, in, in several ways in, in these following verses. First of all, we can often be paralyzed to resist God's call uh, by the inevitable. Look at verse 3. Uh, it says, if clouds are full of water, they pour rain upon the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. And you read those verses and you think, wow, wisest man in the world, eh? Really? I mean, I could have written that. Everybody knows that. But you got to understand, he's saying this for a point, a very important point. He's saying, look, there are things in life that are simply inevitable. You cannot avoid them. They are the way they are. But oftentimes, it's the inevitable that we let stop us from responding to the call to risk. He says, first of all, you know, you look outside and it looks like it's going to rain. And you think, ah, it's going to rain, so I'm going to stay inside. Why? Take an umbrella. If it's warm out, don't take an umbrella. Dance in the rain. Most of you probably have that on one of those word things that everybody's got in their house right now, you know. The ways to live life, always say thank you, sing in the shower, dance in the rain, blah, 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 right? But more seriously, there are inevitable things that stop us from taking the risk God calls us to. And here's two, I'll just give you two. One of them is failure. Fear of failure. Look, 
Failure is inevitable. You're going to fail at some of the things you try to do. You just, you got to realize that and accept that. Sometimes what you try to do doesn't work out. If you're rooted in the gospel, if your identity is found in Jesus Christ, where you say, in him I live and move and have my being, in him I know I am loved and cherished, I know that I matter and I know that I'm worth something, then if you fail, you won't sweat it. You'll say, hey, I tried. But if you're not rooted in that, then your, your, your identity is going to be rooted in whether you make it, whether you pull it off, whether you succeed, whether you can walk into that room and say to people, yes, I did it. Because you could never imagine walking into that room and having people look you in the eye and you have to say, yeah, you know, I thought it was a good idea. Turns out it wasn't. And I should never have done that. Failure is one of those inevitable things that sometimes stands in the way. But, but there's another one. What about hostility? You try something. Even if you're, you're trying to be generous or you're, you're trying to start a business or step out in faith or whatever, there will always be skeptics, there will always be critics, there will always even be haters, right? But that's inevitable. Jesus said, look, the world hated me first. Don't be surprised when the world hates you. When people look at you like you're, you have a screw loose, you shouldn't get all defensive and uppity. You should say, yeah, yeah, I bet you I look like I got a screw loose because I'm doing things with my time and doing things with my money and taking chances with, with my relationships that other people think, I wouldn't do that in a million years because of who I am. Um, the Apostle Paul, in one place, he says, if anyone wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, he will be persecuted. Some things just are the way they are. Like the tree, when it falls, it lays where it falls. Don't be surprised. So we're paralyzed sometimes by the unknown, but sometimes we're also paralyzed, or sorry, paralyzed by the, the inevitable, but we're also sometimes paralyzed by uncertainty. In verse 4 it says, whoever watches the wind will not plant, whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. This is the opposite problem. Sometimes you're paralyzed by stuff you know is certain to happen. Sometimes you're paralyzed by the stuff that you don't think is going to happen. Sometimes we analyze things to death, right? We look at it from all angles and then, and then we, we never actually step out and act because we want it to be perfect. So in this illustration, what's the problem? The guy's looking at the wind and he says, well, I better not plant now. And, he, and he's looking at the clouds and he says, well, it's going to rain, so I might as well not go out and, and reap. He's waiting for the conditions to be perfect before he acts, okay? I remember talking to someone just a little while ago who was thinking about starting a business and they were talking about, well, you know, I don't know, maybe in a couple years when my kids are like this or like that or whatever, and they just never actually pull the trigger. Or maybe you feel you're called. I was talking to another person who was thinking about maybe they're being called to adopt. And they're like, well, I don't know, maybe we need to try a little longer or maybe we need to... Um, we need to uh, have a little more financial security. And, and if we're always, I'm not saying you shouldn't be wise. Don't misunderstand. I'm not saying you shouldn't be wise and you shouldn't uh, plan well. But I am saying is that if you're always waiting for the perfect conditions, you may never take the plunge. You may never take the step that, you, that God has been calling you to make for a long, long time. You know, I'm not even going to start talking to you, you guys, about meeting a woman and yeah, I won't even go there, but that's an example of it. 
Let's just move on. You can also be paralyzed by mystery. Look at verse 5. As you don't know, as you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. You know, there are some things that you're just never able to comprehend. Uh, sometimes we let the unknown paralyze us, but sometimes we let the unknowable paralyze us. And some things just aren't knowable. I remember once I met a person on a go train and we started talking and we started talking about kids and they said, I'm just terrified of having children. And I'm like, why? And they said, well, what if, what if they grow up and they get into all kinds of trouble? Or what if one of them gets sick and has a terminal illness? Like I could not imagine going through that and having to spend weeks at sick kids, or what if they die on me and I, I have to bury one of my children? And they were paralyzed by the unknowable, things that you could just never actually figure out. And sometimes that happens to us. You may risk, though, you may risk out, if you're not willing to risk, you may miss out on the opportunity. And you know, let me just say one thing to people here who are Maybe you're not a Christian and you're curious about Christianity, you wonder about Christianity, you wonder about why Christians are the way they are, you see something attractive to, uh, about them, etc. but you have issues with certain parts of Christianity. Maybe you think, like, how can Jesus really be God and a person at the same time? That's weird. How can I believe that this book is really God's word? How can that be true? Maybe you have questions about Jesus' politics that you want answered, or maybe you wonder about what the Bible says about sexuality or race or gender or whatever, and you have these things that, that, that are, are real issues. But you feel like you need to have all those things answered before you can meet Jesus and accept Jesus. And Jesus says to you this morning, he says, look, Get to know me. Some of those issues you have will be answered in time. Some of them may never be answered. But once you know me, once you know me, you will be comfortable with the mystery. Because what you really need is the revelation of who I am as the Son of God, who died for you spilt his blood for you, who demonstrated his love for you in the most profound and personal way. And once you accept me, the other stuff, it will fall into place. Yeah, I'm not saying, I'm not saying you'll never struggle with it. I'm not saying you'll never have questions again. What I am saying is, is they, will, they, will, they will be rightly ordered because you know that you can trust me, who I am. Okay. Last point. Um, just knowing that we resist the call doesn't make us for the bulletin. You got this person on a bridge and they're thinking about jumping off. How do you do it? How do you actually take that step? And that's the last point. See, the, t the teacher, he, he hints at it. He says, takes risks. He says, trust God. He says, be bold. And he has these two phrases, one in verse 5 and one in verse 6, that, that sort of point us in the right direction. In verse 5, he says this, you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. And then in verse 6, 
He says, sow your seed in the morning and at evening let your hands not be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. What's he saying? He's saying on the first hand, you've got to remember God, that he is the maker of all things. And then he says, you don't know what's going to succeed. Maybe the one thing you try will succeed. Maybe the other thing you try will succeed. Maybe both things you try will succeed. What he's saying is basically this. Ultimately, success is a gift from your maker. Everything happens under his care. He is watching over everything that you do, everything that you attempt. He is guiding and directing it because he is over and above it all. And you can entrust yourself to him. We're we're talking about the, the theological concept called providence. And there's, a, there's an old confession of the church called the Heidelberg Catechism, and it, and it describes what this providence is in a beautiful way. It says this, God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power, whereby, as with his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth and all creatures, and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought... Fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, indeed all things come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Now on the one hand, that raises questions. You're like, what are you saying? Like, you're saying my hardship and my tragedies are are within the purview of his almighty power? And the answer to that is yes. And if you want to know how that works, you've got to listen to last week's sermon. But on the other hand, It also means that as you experience all these things, as you set forth taking risks, as you make decisions, as you go forward into the unknown because God guides you the way your headlights guide you at night. You ever notice that your headlights only show you so far and you got to move forward for them to see, show you any further? God guides you in the same way. But the fact is, is that because he is sovereign in control of it all, he does guide you. It's not random. It's not utterly unknown. It's not utterly... uh, 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 unsafe. It's utterly predictable. In the end, whatever you're experiencing, you can be certain He is using to create in you and through you that which He longs to see in you. It creates this beautiful relationship between your effort and your ability to react or relax because we think it's all up to us most of the time. And that creates a terrible burden on us. And the teacher says, you don't know. Just work hard. Work hard. Sow in the morning. Don't be idle at night. But leave the results to God. You're being called to faithfulness, not fruitfulness. Because of the gospel. I'm going to close now. I've got a few more things that I'd love to say, but I've been going on and on. I want to close now with these two quotes that are on the front of your bulletin. See, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have this man, Jesus, who was the bread of life. And he cast himself upon the waters. He, he, he emptied himself. He went to the cross and he died for your sin. He risked himself for you and for me. And he sunk down and was drowned under the wrath of God. He held nothing back. 
And the Bible promises that because he did that, God, it says, exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, when that sinks into you, that enables you to risk in a way that is, that is, that the world will, will see as being un- imaginable. Listen to what John Piper says. It's the second quote on there. He says, by removing eternal risk, Christ calls his people to continual temporal risk. Christ calls us to take risks for kingdom purposes. Almost every message of American consumerism says the opposite. Maximize comfort and security now, not in heaven. Christ does not join that chorus. To every timid saint wavering on the edge of some dangerous gospel venture, he says, fear not. You can only be killed Yes, by all means, maximize your joy. How? For the sake of love. Risk being reviled and persecuted and lied about, for your reward is great in heaven. And this led a guy by the name of Jim Elliott to do that very thing. In his journal, before he was a missionary, he wrote, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And this man went to Ecuador to an unreached people group to share the gospel along with four other men and their wives as well as his own to share the gospel to an unreached people group. And within months of arriving there, this unreached people group killed him. If you want to know the rest of the story, Google it or watch the movie The End of the Spear. But he is an example of a man who had this this gospel so rooted deeply in him that he understood that even if he takes the risk of his life, it's no risk at all. But because if you are in Jesus, you can't lose your life. You've been saved. You've been given your life. And so when you give away your money, something that you can't keep anyway, it's no risk at all. Amen. Uh, I got one question, but I'll talk to that person afterwards. <laughs> that was heavy. Let's pray. Father, um, help us, Father, to be strengthened to take risks for the kingdom. And, and I don't just mean simple, I don't mean the clear risks, like I should share Jesus with my non-Christian neighbor. I mean complicated risks, like people are wondering, should I go to a school, should I enter a program, should I consider being a missionary, should I start a business, should I ask that girl on a date? These are all risks. May your spirit guide us to make wise risks that advance the cause of your kingdom, that will bring pleasure to your name, for your glory. And we pray, Father, that we would all uh, be able to do that as a church and as individuals. In Jesus we pray, amen. I don't have a long introduction to